Bedingfeld, globetrotting adventurous here. I had just decoded a vital clue in the hunt for the man in the brown suit, prime suspect in the sensational Millhouse murder. It began when I recovered a scrap of paper dropped by the man himself. According to the numbers on the paper, something was going to happen on board the ship in cabin 17 at one in the morning on January 22nd. Tonight! Or tomorrow afternoon. My precious clue was a bit vague as to a.m. or p.m. Either way, I was ready. All I had to do was solve a mystery, unmask a killer, and emerge triumphant. Artists Ensemble Theatre presents Mysterious Journey, Theatre for the Mind. Anne Benningfeld is tracking a murderer, but it's a dangerous game. From Agatha Christie, this is The Man in the Brown Suit, Part 4, Interlude with a Killer. Sleep was out of the question. I sat bolt right up in bed, waiting as distant voices faded and the lights went out. The hours stretched out endlessly. Then... They're after me. For God's sake, hide me. I had only seconds to decide. Come to this man's rescue or sound the alarm. Impulsively, I dragged my trunk out from beneath my bed. Quickly, the man stepped behind the trunk and slid onto my bunk. I seized a jar and smeared cold cream on my face. Begging your pardon, miss. Who are you? I'm the night steward, miss. George. I thought I heard... Did you call out? No. I see. Sorry for the uh, interruption. (laughs) That's all right. I couldn't sleep, so I thought I'd give myself a facial. Again, apologies. Uh, The fact is, miss, there's a man roaming about who's rather drunk and we were told to make certain he didn't frighten the ladies. That's alarming. He won't come in here, will he? I shouldn't think so, miss. But if he does, please, don't hesitate to ring. I won't. Good night, George. Good night, miss. He's gone. Now come out of there at once. Hello? Sir? I poked the man, but he'd passed out. Wonderful. I'd rescued a drunk. Not really what I... Dear God, there was blood on my fingers. After a good deal of effort... I dragged the man out from under my bed and got his coat off and his shirt open. He'd been stabbed. I was cleaning the wound when he came to. Oh, don't! Keep still! This wound is deep and must be cleaned. There's no need. Of course there's a need! Look, I don't need your help. <laughs> of course you don't. Merely because you've been stabbed and I hid you and probably saved your life, there's no reason to go on and on gushing your eternal gratitude in this manner. You're funny. Oh, I'm famous for my wit as you must be for your exquisite manners. Since I've offended you, I'll relieve you of my presence. Don't be a fool. Sit down. You'll bleed all over the ship. I'm going to bandage your wound now, so brace yourself. Oh! Have a care! Quiet! You're clearly no nurse. You lack the touch. You're clearly no Prince Charming. You lack the charm. There. That'll do for the present. Now, care to tell me what's going on? No. Or who stabbed you? No. Anything at all? No! You need to stay out of it. I'm already in the thick of it. No, you're not. A lot you know. Who are you? Anne Beddingfeld. And who are you? No one. Oh, come on. I just hid you under my bed. At least tell me your name. Absolutely not. Why not? Want your secrets broadcast to the world? Trust a woman. (laughs) You don't think I could keep a secret? I don't think. 
I know. Wrong. That proves you don't know me at all. Nor you me. Shall we keep it that way? Fine. Splendid. By the way, I'm still waiting for my thank you. You won't get one. Imagine my shock. But I acknowledge the debt. Someday I'll find a way to pay it. And he was gone. Just when I was about to deliver my crushing retort. day when I came up on deck, Suzanne waved me over. Good morning, gypsy girl. Now why do you call me that? Because you are a free spirit, adventurous and even a little, excuse me, reckless. You're awfully sleepy. Didn't you rest well? I did not. Do you recall when I dropped my film over the rail? And evidently it was found and some idiot steward returned it to me late last night. How did he awaken you? He took years off my life. In the middle of the night, the fool stuck his arm through my porthole and dropped the film canister right on my tummy. How bizarre. Oh, look, here comes your Colonel Race. He's not my Colonel Race. In fact, he quite admires you. Oh, don't run away. I'm not. Just going to fetch a scarf. Coward. She was right. I did feel rather shy and provincial round Colonel Race. At the door of my cabin, I stopped short. All my belongings were scattered. Someone had ransacked my room. But who? And why? And while I'm asking questions, who was the wounded man last night? A passenger? I'd never seen him before. Who stabbed him and why? I made a list of people that needed watching. One, Sir Eustace Pedler, owner of Mill House, the scene of a murder. Two, Guy Paget, his secretary, who'd been dead set on obtaining Cabin 17. Note to self, find out if Mr Paget was with Sir Eustace on the Riviera during the time the murder took place. Three, Reverend Chichester. He was on the list because he tried to snag Cabin 17 and because I disliked him and because he told me he'd spent three years in East Africa yet his fair skin held no trace of suntan. A short time later, when I entered the lounge for coffee, I found Sir Eustace and Paget sitting with Suzanne and Colonel Race. Come join us, Anne. We were just discussing Italy. I've never been. Is it glorious? Beyond telling. You should go. I adore the Italians. They're so obliging. You ask the way and instead of turn right, then go straight, they pour out a perfect flood of directions. Then when you look bewildered, they kindly take your arm and walk you all the way to your destination. Was that your experience in Florence, Patchett? My? Oh, quite. Uh, yes. And pardon me, I've just recalled mustache. I begin to suspect Guy Paget of committing some dark deed in Florence. When was he there? Well, earlier this month, he'd been hectoring me about work. That's all the man does. When he happened to mention that he'd never seen Florence. I seized the moment and immediately packed him off on holiday. That was kind. <laughs> My dear, it was entirely selfish. A whole week without Guy Paget? Heaven! But ever since his return, whenever Italy is mentioned, he gulps, stammers and bolts from the room. Perhaps he murdered someone there. He rather looks like a villain in the cinema. Oh, doesn't he? It's rather amusing, especially when one knows perfectly well what a tediously respectable and law-abiding chap Paget really is. Well, I'm off to my cabin for a nap. I want to be wide awake for dancing this evening. And with that, our group broke up. Colonel Race followed me out on deck. 
You're very elusive, Miss Beddingfeld. I, I looked for you last night. I went to bed early. What about tonight? Won't you stay after dinner and dance with me? Very well, but I warn you I'm liable to step on your feet. I'll risk it. Until tonight. Up till that moment, the highlight of my social life was evening spent discussing fossilised skulls with elderly professors, all friends of my father. But that night, I danced with the dashing Colonel Race. Do you know, I once met your father. Brilliant fellow. He really was, in his field. I was fascinated with his theories on the Wusterian culture, following, as it does, the Ornacean. No, I mean, yes, he did write about that, but you've mixed them up. Mysterian culture precedes the Orignacian. Of course. Thank you for setting me straight. It was midnight when I retired, still wondering. Had Colonel Race been testing me, trying to find out whether I was really Anne Beddingfeld? Dear diary, I adore life at sea. Fortunately, I am an excellent sailor. Guy Paget is not. He turned green as soon as we sailed, leaving me free to enjoy myself. The passengers are a mixed lot. Two charming ladies, Mrs. Clarence Blair, and an attractive child called Beddingfeld, a stiff-necked missionary chap whose name I've forgotten, and Colonel Race, one of those dark, brooding mystery men that all the women go mad over. After we left Madeira, Guy Paget recovered and resumed battering me. But, Sir Eustace, we simply must get some work done. I don't see why. You promised your publishers they would have your memoirs by June. Oh, plenty of time. Besides, who actually reads memoirs? I ask But, you. Sir Eustace... Now, Paget, you've only just gotten up from your sickbed. What you need is a nice deck chair in the sun. I don't... Not, not another word. My memoirs will just have to wait. No. What do you mean, no? My conscience will not permit such a lapse. We must get to work. Although where, I cannot imagine. I thought we'd arranged for an extra cabin. I did try to get cabin 17, but two other people laid claim to it, and both Miss Beddingfeld and Reverend Chichester refused to even consider changing cabins, even though 13 and 28 were both available, and larger. What earthly difference does it make? Set us up in one of those. But Sir Eustace, you told me to secure cabin 17. My dear fellow, I only mentioned 17 because I noticed it was vacant. Anyway. Miss Beddingfeld ended up in cabin 17. Although... What? I saw Chichester creeping out of 17 this morning in a furtive manner. Patrick, if you're trying to stir up scandal about Chichester, a missionary, and Anne Beddingfeld, I won't stand for it. Delightful girl. I shall invite her to join my table for the masquerade. Which reminds me, I need a costume. Sir Eustace, you aren't planning to appear in public wearing a... Hatchet, that is the entire point of a fancy dress ball. I believe the purser is in charge of costumes. Uh, run along and secure something dashing for me. I'm not at all certain they'll have your size. There are moments, Patchett, when you can be quite offensive. I did not mean... Let me see. I shall invite the ship's captain, Anne Beddenfield, Mrs. Blair... You won't get Mrs. Blair without inviting Colonel Race. The devil, you say? Who is this fellow? They say he's involved with the Secret Service. Something very hush-hush. Oh, just like the government. Here's a man on board whose actual business it is to carry secret documents, and they foist them off onto me. If you ask me, something smoky is going on. 
take that sudden illness of mine back in London. What illness? You mean your bilious attack? Ah, but was it a bilious attack? The symptoms... Stop right there. I forbid you to describe your symptoms. Egad. But I suspect that I was deliberately poisoned. Poppycock, you've been talking to that other secretary, Rayburn. He agrees with me. No, he doesn't. He's merely pretending in order to silence you. Uh, Where is Rayburn, by the way? I've not set eyes on him since we boarded. Mr. Rayburn has given out that he's ill and keeps to his cabin. To watch. Watch what? Over your safety, Sir Eustace. (laughs) More poppycock. I'm going up on deck. No, don't accompany me. I'm not in the mood. Dear Diary, that night the masquerade ball was a tremendous success, and my costume was a hit. Sir Eustace, you look marvellous. I adore your outfit. Really? Uh, Not too undignified. It was the only costume they had that fit. Oh, it's perfect. You make a darling teddy bear. Hello, everyone. So, Eustace, (laughs) thank you for inviting me. Oh, delighted, Miss Beddingfield. I I see you've come as a gypsy. Perhaps I'll persuade you to tell my fortune. I see a prize for best costume in your very near future. Aren't you a sweetheart? Who care to dance? Love to. (laughs) (laughs) Dear Diary, dancing was hot work in my costume. Furry, you know. I danced twice with Miss Beddingfield, who pretended to enjoy it. Once with Mrs. Blair, who didn't trouble to pretend. Then we all went to supper. I ordered champagne all round, which actually loosened Colonel Race's tongue. You amaze me, Sir Eustace. A diary could be dangerous. How so? All your indiscretions will one day be revealed? My dear Race, I am not quite the fool you think me. A diary is for recording the indiscretions of other people. Obviously, I don't write down mine. Mm, point taken. Colonel Race, you must have led a fascinating life. Well, that set him off. He started telling stories about hunting lions in Rhodesia. A chap with stories like that has an unfair advantage. Oh, it sounds amazing. I long to visit Rhodesia, but it's five days by rail. My dear lady, you must join me in my private train car. What a generous offer, Sir Eustace. Do you really mean it? Do I mean it? Waiter, another bottle of champagne. (laughs) 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 To think, in another week, we shall be in South Africa. Ah, South Africa, famous for her farms, her fruit, and... Diamonds. (laughs) I've heard Kimberley called the diamond capital of the world. Have you been there, Colonel Race? Indeed I have. Do tell us about it. Dear Diary, as it happens, I've been to Kimberley, but no one wanted to hear me. The ladies were too busy hanging on every word uttered by Colonel Race... After a bit, the conversation turned to theft and the precautions taken at De Beers. Are you telling me it's impossible to steal the diamonds? Nothing's impossible. I heard of a worker who was injured on the job and, before he was carried out, managed to conceal a diamond in his wound. Oh, good Lord. There's determination for you. But nothing on a large scale. Mm, Once, eight years ago, just before the war... Sir Eustace, you must recall the case. Weren't you in South Africa around then? I was. Please tell us. Very well. Uh, For some time, there had been rumours about an amazing find in South America. uh, British Guiana, I believe. Two young explorers had returned from there with a remarkable collection of rough diamonds. John Eardsley and Tom something. uh, Tom Lucas. They came to Kimberley to submit their gems for inspection. At the same time, a sensational robbery was discovered quite by chance at De Beers. Colonel Race, why don't you explain the, the big safe? Ah, 
To begin, diamonds bound for England are made into packets at De Beers, each packet worth roughly a hundred thousand pounds. Merciful heavens! The packets are then sealed and locked in the big safe, which requires two keys plus a combination lock to open. Each key is held by a different man, while a third man is the only one with the combination. Well, that sounds foolproof. It wasn't. An employee noted something off with the seal of one packet. It was opened and found to contain not diamonds, but lumps of sugar. But how? The how is still unknown, but suspicion fastened on Erdsley and Lucas. Overnight, rumors began flying that their South American diamond field was a hoax. They were arrested, and several of the stolen De Beers diamonds were discovered in their possession, although the bulk of the stolen gems were never found. And did they confess? On the contrary, they maintained their innocence throughout. Why have I never heard about this? Because the case never went to court. John Airdsley was the only son of Sir Lawrence Airdsley, the millionaire. As I recall, the son had been very wild at Cambridge. I knew Sir Lawrence slightly. I know he settled his son's debts more than once. Sir Lawrence paid De Beers a sum equal to the value of the missing gems. In return, De Beers agreed not to prosecute, and the case was hushed up. But the old man's heart was broken. He had a stroke shortly thereafter. Both young men enlisted and fought bravely in the war. John Airdsley was killed in battle. Sir Lawrence suffered another stroke and died only last year. His vast fortune passed to a distant cousin, a man he barely knew. But surely he... Oh! We all turned to see what had startled Miss Beddingfield. A man stood in the doorway, looking stricken. I... I beg your pardon. Don't go! Who was that man? Does anyone know? That's my secretary. My other secretary, Mr. Rayburn. He's been very ill and confined to his cabin for most of the voyage. Has he been with you long? As a matter of fact, I engaged him just before we sailed. Why? No reason. Colonel Race, you mentioned Sir Lawrence's heir. Who was his next of kin? The distant cousin. That would be me. That night, I came to a decision. I needed a confidant. Suzanne, I would tell her everything and I'd do it tonight. If only I knew which cabin was hers. You rang for the steward, miss? Yes, sorry. I was expecting... Is George off duty tonight? George? The night steward. There's no steward named George, miss. But I... Never mind. I misunderstood. I promised Mrs Blair I'd stop by her cabin, only I've forgotten the number. Mrs Blair's in cabin 71. Thank you. You're very welcome, miss. Well, well, well. Who are you, George? Think, Anne, think. Reverend Chichester, if that's his name, has most certainly not spent the past three years in Africa. The wounded man you hid in your cabin is Sir Eustace's secretary, Mr. Rayburn. George, the steward who came after him, is not a steward and was more likely the attacker. But who is George? Guy Paget was not in the Riviera with Sir Eustace at the time of the Millhouse murder. Supposedly, he was in Florence. But how solid is his alibi? Both Colonel Race and Sir Eustace know a great deal about this massive diamond robbery in De Beers. The majority of the stolen gems were never recovered, and Colonel Race ended up inheriting a fortune. What does it all mean? What is the significance of Cabin 17? Who broke in and searched, and why? And who is the man in the brown suit? I had my suspicions about him, and I knew exactly what to do next. 
The Man in the Brown Suit was adapted from Agatha Christie's novel. Part 5, Attack by Night, is next. The cast features Sarah Waddle as Anne, with Stephen F. Vertle, Russell Constance, Ian Garthwaite, Philip Masterton, Margaret Rayther, and David A. Gingrich. When stages around the world went dark, Artists Ensemble Theatre began producing Theatre for the Mind. If you can, please consider donating to AET or become a patron by pledging monthly. Learn more at artistsensemble.org. And as always, thank you for listening. 